As you can see, we're in a series called How to Study the Bible, and all of the messages for this month are on fcbc.life, and so you can listen to any of those that perhaps you've missed. But we've looked at a simple acrostic that guides our study of the Bible, and it's an acrostic that spells out SOAP, S-O-A-P. S reminds us that we start with Scripture. We believe God loves us so much that He has revealed Himself to us in the Bible, and He wants us to know more about Him. And O stands for observation. Whenever we read the Bible, we want to slow down and observe what we're reading and look at the context of what we're reading so that we can understand what the Bible meant first to the people it was written to before we can then apply it to our lives. Now, the A in the acrostic stands for application because we believe that God didn't give us his Bible just for head knowledge. He didn't just give us the Bible for information, but also for transformation. He wants to change our lives for the better as we learn more about him and live for him. So it's important to apply the Bible to our lives. And then the P in the letter uh, in the acrostic for soap stands for prayer. And we're calling the message today, prayer, not last and not least. Has it ever occurred to you that prayer is a vital part of studying the Bible? Prayer is where we talk to God and we look to God for his help. Many of you are familiar with Yogi Berra, that late uh, famous pitcher for the New York Yankees, later inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And the matter comes up and he's he's really wanting to have a good hit and he needs all the help he can get. And so he comes up to the plate and he makes the sign of the cross. And, you know, that's a simple way uh, for Catholics to say, you know, I'm looking for God's help here. And Yogi looked at that and said to the young man, hey, why don't we let God just watch this game? (laughs) And, you know, that might be fine for baseball. Let God just watch the game. But it's not good for Bible study. Whenever we study the Bible, we need to talk to God and ask him to guide us, to help us understand his word, to learn how to apply it to our lives, and then to give us the strength we need to actually put it into practice. And so that's what we're going to talk about today in prayer, prayer, praying as we study the Bible. Now, as followers of Jesus, we instinctively know that we ought to be people of prayer. And we often do pray. We pray when we're sick, or we pray when we're thinking about taking a new job, or we pray for a family member who's going through a difficult time, or we pray for our country, or we pray for what's going on with our children. And it's wonderful that we pray for all of those things. Nothing wrong with that. But so often when it comes to studying the Bible, we don't pray about it. I think we ought to pray before we study the Bible, while we're studying the Bible, and after we study the Bible. And I believe that God hears our prayer, that God wants to answer that prayer whenever we come to him and we say, God, would you help me to understand who you are and how much you love me and the plan you have for my life? One of the things I love to do is read the prayers of people in the Bible. Of course, that great prayer of Jesus, the the Lord's Prayer, as we often call it, in Matthew 6. But someone else who often talked about his prayers for other people was the Apostle Paul. In fact, there's a book in your Bible. It's actually a letter that we have copies of. It's called the Letter to the Colossians. Uh, Colossae was a city in ancient Greece, in in ancient uh, Rome, and it was a city that's located in modern-day Turkey. Paul had never visited this city, but he had sent a companion of his there to share Jesus with the people in the city of Colossae. And many people came to faith in Jesus and got saved, and a church began in that pagan city. 
Years later, Paul's companion sends him word that things are going well, that the Christians are growing in number, and that they are wanting to know more about God. But he also told, told Paul, but they're also dealing with some persecution. It's not easy to be a Christian in the first century in Rome. And they're also dealing with some false teachers who are confusing them. And they're wanting to know the Bible. And so Paul wrote a letter to kind of correct them and to keep them on the right track. And one of the things he did in that letter is he told them how much he prayed for them. And he even told them what he prayed for when he prayed for them. And as I looked at Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, I discovered something. This is a prayer I need people praying for me. And this is a prayer I believe you need me praying for you. That as we study the Bible, the four things that Paul mentions in his prayer for the Colossian Christians are four wonderful requests we ought to pray for ourselves and for each other. And I've got confidence that God hears this kind of prayer. And God will answer this kind of prayer. So what I want to do today is take you to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And let's take a look at how Paul prays for those first century believers and let his prayer inform how we pray for ourselves and for each other as we study the Bible. I'm going to read this all the way through from Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 through verse 14 and then we'll come back and walk through it verse by verse. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 9, and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading of His Word. I love this prayer. Paul gives four requests that he makes on behalf of these Christians. And these are four things I want you to know as your pastor, I'm praying for you. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer as well for me and for one another. And pray this prayer for yourself. These four requests ought to inform and inspire our prayers. First of all, I think we would be good to follow Paul's example. Let us pray for one another to be knowledgeable of God's will. To be knowledgeable of God's will. I love that Paul begins his prayer request for these Christians by praying for them to be knowledgeable of God's will. He begins with right thinking. Because right thinking can lead to right living. But wrong thinking will always lead to wrong living. And Paul begins with belief before he talks about behavior. Because he wants them to know God's will. And this is the awesome thing about our God. He loves you so much, he wants to be a part of every aspect of your life. There is nothing too mundane in your life that he doesn't want to be a part of. He wants you to know that he cares for you. And he also wants you to know he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. 
And Paul, recognizing this, prayed that these first century Christians in that city would be knowledgeable of God's will. So whenever you start your Bible study and you continue and you finish your Bible study, one of your prayers ought to be, God, let us be knowledgeable of your will for our lives. Here's how Paul put it in verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard it. He's saying, from the day I heard that you've come to faith in Jesus as your Savior. And from the day I heard how you were growing in your relationship with Jesus. From that day, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul says, my prayers for you are not sporadic or spontaneous. My prayers are strategic and continual. I want you to know that I am always thinking of you. I'm always praying for you. Every time I talk to God, you're in my conversation with God. And here's what he's asking when he talks to God. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He says, I'm asking God that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. That your life be permeated with the knowledge of how God wants you to live your life. And dear friend, that is a prayer we ought to pray for ourselves and for others because God's will is the greatest will that we could ever discover. There are other people who have plans for your life. There are other people who have agendas for your life. There are other people who have plans and programs for your life. But if God is real, you ought to want to know his will above everything else so that you can live for him. And Paul's praying for that. And the good news is, if Paul prays for us to know God's will, it means God's will is knowable. So often we act like God is hiding his will from us, and he's playing hide and seek. But God wants you to know his will for your life. He wants you to have spiritual understanding that makes sense of your life. And as you study scripture, you discover the will of God for your life. Now, there's a general will of God that applies to all Christians at all times and all places. And then there's the particular will of God that's different for each one of us. Now, how do we discover the general will of God? We read the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures, we discover, for example, it is God's will that we put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not God's will that any should perish and be lost eternally because of their sin. It's also God's will that once we come to know Christ, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's will that we be filled with his presence and his spirit in our lives. It's God's will that we be holy and pure. It's God's will that we become more like Jesus. The more you read the Bible, the more you discover the will of God for your life. You don't have to pray about it. It's right there. God spelled it out for us. But then there's the particular will of God. Now, you're not going to find that in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible did it say, get up on Sunday morning and go to Fort Caroline Baptist Church at 945 and listen to Ricky. It's just not in here. If it is, you've got a bad Bible. I would throw that one away. Now, the particular will of God may be different for all of us. Sometimes we're looking for God's will in, should we marry this person? Should we take this new job in a different city? Should we make this decision with our finances? And we have all sorts of decisions that we make every day. And God's will is often very particular for us. How do we discover that? There again, you go to the Word of God. 
Because while the Word of God may not give you a specific instruction on what to do on each and every day, the more you learn the will of God, the more you learn the character of God, the more you learn the principles of God's Word, the more you can then say, you know, that helps me as I make this decision. I see how God works, and I see what He may want to do in my life. And in the end, I think one of the best things you can do is just get up every day and say, God, my desire is to live for you. And I know above all things you've said that your will for me is to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Just help me to do those two things today. You know what? I think everything else starts falling into place. And so we need to know that there's somebody praying for us to know the will of God. I'm praying that for you, and I'm going to invite you to pray that for me. So the first prayer request that Paul offers and that we ought to pray is that we would be knowledgeable in God's will. Secondly, he prays that we would be fruitful in God's work. Fruitful in God's work. And I like this because the will of God is revealed so that we can do the will of God in our lives. God doesn't just show us his will so that we can just have more head knowledge. He wants our beliefs to affect our behavior, right? It's like a parent whenever I tell my Kids, hey, it's time to take out the trash. I wasn't just giving that as information. Like, oh, yeah, check that off. It is time to take out the trash. No, what I'm saying is it's time for you to take out the trash. I want you to do something with the knowledge that you have, right? And when God reveals his will to us, he wants us to do something with his will. We want to be knowledgeable of God's will so that we can be fruitful in God's work. God, God's will reveals the work the life that he has for us, and we ought to be fruitful in doing it. We shouldn't dabble in living for God. We ought to be sold out. We ought to be growing. We ought to be fruitful. Here's how Paul put it, much more eloquent than I can. He writes in verse 10, the reason we ought to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul's using the, uh, the idea of walking to relate how you live your life, how you conduct yourself, where you go, what you do. And you ought to seek to know God's will so that you can then live out God's will in your daily life. And you should say, I want to live in a way, I want to live in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. Now we all know that there are ways we can live that Jesus would not be glorified. That's not worthy of his name. You wouldn't want his name to be associated with that attitude. You wouldn't want his name to be associated with that action. You wouldn't want his attitude, his name to be associated with that prejudice. And so we know there are things in our lives that we can do, but they're not worthy of Jesus. He wouldn't do them. He wouldn't approve of them. And our goal is to say, God, I want to know your will so that I can live in such a way as to walk worthy of Jesus. I want my life to glorify him. I don't want to be a disgrace to grace. I don't want to bring shame on his name. And it says, Paul says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That ought to be our chief ambition in life is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. For him to say, well done. That's so good. And we know that's true of our children, right? You got a little child, 
and especially a son to a dad, he's going to go out there and he's going to try something new for the first time. And he's going to say, Daddy, watch this. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, see? And he's wanting Daddy to say, good job. Good job in kicking that ball. Good job in hitting the ball off the tee. Good job in the way you cleaned your room. And we ought to be able to say, Jesus, I invite you to look at my life. I invite you to look at my family. I invite you into my politics. I invite you into every aspect of my life, and I want you to be pleased. And how do you know what pleases another person? You spend time with them. The longer you're married, the more you know what pleases your spouse, right? And, and the longer Don and I have been married, the more I know what pleases her. I, I can look at her face and tell if I'm in trouble or... If, if I'm doing good, you know, and, and I think we ought to say, you know, the more I'm in God's word, the more I'm in prayer, the more I worship him with other believers, the more I am learning about him through scripture, and the more I'm trying to live for him, the more I will have a sense that he's pleased. I'm not going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. He knows we're not perfect this side of heaven, But there is such a way that you can live, even in your imperfection in this life, that he is pleased with you. And you can seek to live fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. That your life is showing evidence that you're living for God and you're living out his will and you're increasing in the knowledge of God. Listen, there will never be a moment that you will close your Bible and say, I'm done. I've graduated from Bible study. I know everything there is to know about God. No. The longer you live, the more you're going to learn about God. And it's going to be an awesome journey that you're on. So we ought to pray for one another to be knowledgeable of God's will and to be fruitful in God's work. And then thirdly, we ought to pray for one another to be powerful in God's way. Pray for one another to be powerful in God's way. Because let's just be honest. Everything Paul has laid out so far is too high for us to attain it on our own strength. It's going to be impossible for me to know God's will. Because the moment I'm trying to know God's will, my own personal will wants to take over. Or I don't want to know what God wants to do. I just want to do what I want to do. Anybody can relate to that? Don't look at me like you're that spiritual. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We know our will, and often our will crowds out God's will. And even when we do know God's will, and we know we ought to apply it to our lives, we know how we ought to live, often we don't follow up behavior that flows out of our beliefs, and we just keep living our will rather than God's will. And it's hard to, at times, live by faith. And it's hard, at times, to put this into practice. It's not always popular. It's not always convenient. And so if we're going to be left to our own devices, we're in trouble. If the Christian message is, hey, you need to straighten up. You need to try harder. You need to do your best. Now, good luck out there. See you later. That's a pretty depressing message, right? But ours is not only the gospel of a good beginning, it's the gospel of a good ending because while we didn't have power to save ourselves, neither do we have power to sustain ourselves, but God does. And we need to be powerful in God's way to do God's will once we know God's will for our lives. That's why Paul writes it this way in verse 11, being strengthened with all power 
according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul just keeps adding word on word to stress his point that we don't have power to live like God wants us to live. We don't have power to know God's will on our own, but God has it. God God wants us to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul's trying to exhaust every word or thought he can think of to, to talk about the power of God that's available to you to know and to do God's will so that your right learning can lead to right living. You're absolutely, desperately powerless, but you're absolutely, desperately connected to God who is willing to strengthen you with all power through His glorious might. But often we try to live the Christian life on our own. I'm going to let you off the hook today. No one has ever perfectly lived the Christian life except one. We crucified him, by the way. But he rose from the dead on the third day. His name is Jesus. He's the only one who ever lived perfectly, loving God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself. But that same power in Jesus is available to you. And just let Jesus live his life through you. But often we don't plug into the power. We just try to do it our own. Just yesterday, my, my phone was dying, and so uh, it had that, that red battery icon that says, you need to juice up. You know, this thing's about to shut down. So I went over, and I, I plugged it into that long power cord I've got, and I sat it down on the windowsill of our home by my recliner, and I walked away and did some other work and came back, took my phone, fully expecting it to be charged, and found out it's dead. What? Why? I plugged it in. But what I realized is that long cord had come detached from the outlet. I had just plugged it in, but it wasn't connected to the power outlet. And I can yell at my phone all day long, and I can curse Apple, and I can say all this stuff about that power cord. But the problem wasn't with the power cord. The problem wasn't with the outlet. The problem wasn't with JEA. The problem was with me. I didn't plug into the power outlet. And listen, we can get frustrated all day long when life's not working out like we thought it should. And we can get mad at God. And we can say, I'm giving up on God. And I'm giving up on prayer. And I'm giving up on Bible study. And I'm giving up on church. But often, if we'll just calm down and take a look, we'll discover we knew the right thing. We wanted to do the right thing. But we didn't because we were trying to do it on our own. We had not plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in our lives. We were relying on our power, our strength, our might. But Paul says, Colossian Christians, I'm praying for you to be strengthened with not just a little power, all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And I think that's important to note. You need power not just to have head knowledge of God's word. You need power because you're going to be tempted on some days to give up. And you need power for all endurance and patience. Paul uses two different words there in the Greek language. Endurance refers to the ability to stand up under difficult circumstances. The word patience refers to the ability to stand up under difficult circumstances people. You will have both in your life. 
You're going to face difficult circumstances, and you're going to face difficult people. And if you're not careful, those two will conspire to discourage you. And that's when you need God's power to hang in there, to hold on, to not give up, to fight the good fight, to stay faithful and true, and to say, God, I can't do this. I want to quit. I want to give up. But I've heard your will. I want to do it. And I'm needing now your power to put one foot in front of the other. Just yesterday, I talked to a wife who we conducted the memorial service for her husband. He was a member of our church. He attended the 8 o'clock service. His name was Rodney Peck. Good man. Good man. A a follower of Jesus. And I, I held Gail's hand. And I said, Gail, how are you doing today? And she said, Ricky, I'm standing by the strength of God. She said, I couldn't have faced these three years of his battle with cancer. And I couldn't have faced standing there holding his hand as he breathed his last breath if it had not been God giving me the strength. And you know what? That same God who raised Jesus from the dead wants to give you all strength, all power, according to his glorious might so that you can have endurance under difficult circumstances and patience. You can be long-suffering with difficult people. So how should we pray for each other? Pray that we'll be knowledgeable of God's will, fruitful in God's work, powerful in God's way. But he's not finished. He prays for one more thing. We should be grateful for God's welcome. Grateful for God's welcome. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, the definition of man is an ungrateful biped. Sadly, I think he's right. That out of all of God's creation, people who ought to be the most grateful are human beings. But so often, we're ungrateful. And Paul, in his prayer, asked for them to be grateful for the welcome that God has given them through Jesus Christ. Welcome into the kingdom of God. Welcomed into the family of God. And Paul not only prays this for them, he prays with gratitude for them. He's grateful to God that they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul writes it in Colossians 1 verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. And why are we praising the Father? Why are we saying thank you, Father, for what you've done? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I know that's a cumbersome sentence that Paul gives us here. And we're just reading part of the sentence. But don't you think Paul is saying, we're giving thanks to the Father who has made us fit for heaven? Often I'll hear people say, I'm not fit for heaven. And I want to say to them, welcome to the club. None of us are fit for heaven. None of us are fit for the family of God. None of us are fit for the kingdom of God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've heard me say it a million times. I'm going to say it again. When you go to work tomorrow and they ask you what you did, what do you tell them? You say, this weekend I hung out with a few hundred of the worst sinners you've ever seen. And they're going to say, what's the name of the bar you went to? You say, no, no, no. It's Fort Carolina Baptist Church. Because we are all sinners. And in and of ourselves, we are not fit 
for the kingdom of God, the family of God, the church of God, in the presence of God. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. Work hard, try, do your best. No, we give thanks to the Father because He qualified us. He made us fit to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's the one who made us qualified. And, and Paul's using this verb in the, in the tense that says this is a past tense. It's an action that happened in the past with effects that keep on going. And so in the present, we can be grateful that God has saved us and we are secure. And that we have an inheritance not down here, but we all as the children of God, as the saints of God, as the people of God, we all share in that inheritance made possible through the Father giving His Son, Jesus. Here's how we get this inheritance. Heaven is our home, a relationship with God. Verse 13, He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. The reason we know we have an inheritance waiting for us is because the Father who qualified us and made us fit for heaven did it by taking us out of our sin in the penalty and the darkness of our sin and put us into the kingdom of Jesus. And what did Jesus do to make this possible? Verse 14, in whom we have redemption. Literally, we've been paid for. Our freedom was purchased. We've been redeemed by the price of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross and in whom we have the forgiveness of sin. Literally, forgiveness, the blotting away of a debt that you no longer owe. You owe to send debt to God. Jesus paid it and paid it in full. You are now free. That is the greatest blessing for which we ought to be thankful. I received an offer that I just couldn't turn down. Uh, Jeff Shattuck, our friend, who we tried to get from London to come here, uh, was not able to get his visa, so uh, he's reimagining and relaunching his ministry in the United Kingdom. And he called me up uh, over a week ago and he said, there's plane ticket with your name on it, there's room and board and food, it's not going to cost you anything, you got to come and spend a week with me. Meet with my board, meet with my prayer partners, meet with the church where I'm now a member, and they're doing the Work Talk 4-0 study leading up to Easter. You don't have to preach, but the church wants you to get up and bring a welcome from Fort Caroline to the uh, Testwood Baptist Church in Totten, England. And I thought, man, how do, I, how do I turn that down? A plane ticket, room and board, food? I'm in, I'm in, he said food. I'm in. So I'm, I'm going to go. I'll fly out tomorrow night from Orlando and come back April 1st uh, that night. Or at least what I'm telling my family, April Fool. Um, so I'm going to come back on April 1st. And I'm looking forward to that. But So yesterday I had to go in and find my passport and make sure uh, that it ha- it's not going to expire anytime soon. And so everywhere I go, I will have my passport. And it reminds me. I may be in a foreign country, but I know where my citizenship is. And dear Christian, you live in a world that often fights against you, doesn't want you knowing God's will, doesn't want you to live for God, is going to put circumstances and people in your way to try to discourage you and to make you give up. And there are going to be times that you fail yourself and you're going to start saying, am I even a Christian? Could God love somebody like me? Why am I struggling with this? And in that moment, you need to take out the word of God. 
the promises of God, your passport that reminds you, I may be living in this world, but I'm a citizen of the next. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not because of who I am or what I've done or what I deserve, but because of what the Father has done for me through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I'm no longer in darkness. I am in the light, and I may not have everything yet, but I've got an inheritance waiting on me that this world can never take away. And you're going to need the Word of God to remind you who you are in Christ. And it's going to bring gratitude into your heart. There are going to be some days you open your Bible and you're not doing well physically. There are going to be some days you open your Bible to study it and you're not doing well financially. There are going to be some days you open your Bible to study it and your marriage isn't going so well. Or your children aren't living like you want them to live. There are going to be some days you open your Bible and it seems like the world is filled with evil and chaos and suffering. And you're going to be tempted to get discouraged. But even if this world takes away everything... They can't touch what money can't buy, death can't take away. They can't take away your faith in Jesus Christ and the salvation he's given you. And for that, you can always be grateful. You may not be able to be grateful for a lot of stuff going on in your life, but you can always be grateful for Jesus. Always. I don't know about you, but when I read Paul's prayer and I started thinking about it, I thought, man, I need some people praying that for me. I need people saying, God, would you let Ricky be knowledgeable of your will, fruitful in your work, powerful in your way, and grateful for your welcome into the family of God? And I realized not only do I need somebody praying that for me, I realized you need that for you. You need someone who loves you enough who prays this prayer for you. And so all this week... I've been praying this prayer for every one of you. That you would be knowledgeable in God's will. Fruitful in God's work. Powerful in God's way. Grateful for God's welcome. And here's here's the reason I've been praying that. Is this whole series on how to study the Bible? It is worthless if right learning doesn't lead to right living. Right? Right? And so I want right learning to lead to right living. So I've been praying that for you. And then I thought, well, if I want that, if I want right learning to lead to right living, how do do I pray that? And that's when God led me to this passage. That's how I pray this. This is how I pray for right learning to lead to right living. I pray for you to be knowledgeable in God's will because God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's not playing hide and seek. He wants you to know it. And I want you to be fruitful in God's work that once you learn his will, that every day you're growing more and more living like Jesus. Knowing that you're not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but you're going to be fruitful, growing. But I don't don't want you to think you have to do all of this on your own because you can't, I can't. I'm praying for you to be powerful in God's way. That whenever you can't put one foot, spiritually speaking, in front of the other, it is the power of God that gives you the strength to endure And to be long-suffering. And I'm praying for you to always be grateful, no matter what else is going on in your life or this world, to be grateful for God's welcome to you into the kingdom of God. I've been praying that for you. And here's my homework for you. I want you to pray that for yourself and for other people. I know often we pray with our eyes closed, 
But I'm going to, if you're driving, you can pray, but please keep your eyes open when you drive. But I want you to pray with your eyes open and your Bible open. So this week, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take the words of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and with your Bible open and your eyes open, I want you to pray this prayer for other believers. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your life group. But get specific. Paul prayed for the Colossians, so you need to get specific. No more of this, as I lay me down to sleep. No more of these little trite prayers, God bless mom and dad, and God bless granny and papa, and God bless the missionaries. No, no, no. Let's get specific. Let's start naming some names. Maybe you just start praying for your family. Maybe you pray for your family and your life group. Maybe you say, God, would you... Hear my prayer for these, my brothers and sisters at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And then you just repray this prayer in your own words. Just pray it back in your own words. God, I'm praying that my family will be filled with the knowledge of who you are and what you desire for them. God, I've worked hard to give them knowledge about math and history and science and grammar, but God, I want them also to have spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding of who you are and how much you care for them and what you want from them. God, and I'm asking this so that they can live a life that makes much of Jesus, that when people see me and they see them, they catch a glimpse of Jesus and that Jesus would say, I love that. I'm proud of that. Keep doing that. I like that. And God, would you help them to grow more and more as they learn and live about you? And God, they're going to be tested. There are going to be some circumstances. They're going to make them want to just throw their Bible away and stop going to church and stop praying. But God, would you give them strength? Your strength, your mighty power, the same power that raised your son from the dead, would you give that to them so that they will endure and be long-suffering and hang in there. And God, would you, would you let them realize that no matter what else is going on in their life, they can thank you, Father, that even though they were a sinner, you saved them through Jesus. And you made them fit for the kingdom of God. This is what I pray. In five minutes, you can pray a powerful prayer Asking God that right learning leads to right living for those that you love and that you care. So that's your homework. I'm going to ask you to do it. You can do it today. You can do it every day this week. But I want you to pray that prayer. Would you pray for that for me? I'm going to pray that for you. Would you pray that for your family or whoever else God lays on your heart? And maybe today for the first time in your life you realize something. You realize you don't even know Jesus as your Savior, but you want to. I'm going to lead us in a prayer today. And part of that prayer is going to be to help you if you need to trust Christ as your Savior to make that next step. And I hope you won't be embarrassed or ashamed to let me know at the end of the service. Maybe you'll go to fcbc.life and just click on that Let's Connect card and just where it says comment, just let us know. Today I trusted Jesus as my Savior. All I'm going to do is rejoice with you and be available if I can help you in any way. Or you can come see me at the Next Step area. I would love that. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but you need to get into a Bible study group we call life groups. What's your next step today? And then, of course, your homework is to pray this prayer for yourself and for others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you have revealed your will to us in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. 
And we thank you for the opportunity to read it, to study it, to think about it, to apply it to our lives. But God, I pray for these, my friends, that their right learning as they study the Bible will lead to right living. And I pray, God, they'll be knowledgeable in your will, fruitful in your work, powerful in your way, and grateful for your welcome into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's someone in this room today who needs Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that in the stillness of this moment, they would say to you, Dear God, that's right, just pray silently in your heart. He'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I know I've not always lived for you. But I believe Jesus is your son. And I believe you sent him into the world to show me how much you love me. And that he died on a cross, giving his perfect life for my imperfect life. And I believe he rose from the dead. And so today I confess my sin to him. And I confess he is my savior. My Lord, I'm trusting him for the forgiveness of sin. And I take Jesus at his word when he promised, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, I take you at your word. I believe in you. And God will rejoice in what you do in all of our lives as we respond in faith and in obedience. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.